Hello, everybody, and uh, welcome to a new episode of DFV. I am your co-host, Black Cinephile. And I'm your co-host, Brad. Here's your co-host, Brad. And on this one, we got a, we got an episode that's been in the works for a long time. We've always said uh, we were going to uh, do this one. Uh, we just never knew when was going to be the right time slot for it. But we are talking about Disney's um, hidden gems right here. Uh, these were films, I assume, w- when Brad was young, when we both were young, were like, you know, pretty popular back then. Mm. Uh, we got Atlantis, The Lost Empire versus Treasure Planet, uh, the 2002 one. You got to yeah. be clear on that. So th- these two movies are ones that did not particularly do well in the box office. They were Disney original movies. So they had a kind of basis on, you know, folklore and stories and everything like that. But they weren't the same basis as like being based on old like fairy tales like Snow White and mm-hmm. everything like that. So they were kind of journeying into doing their own original concepts for these big larger grander adventure kind of movies and sadly when it came to the box office they did not do well they didn't hit the points that they were supposed to hit and they were both originally going to be starting off entire series of movies going forward for both of these franchises that got completely cut off and they went back to doing their disney princess kind of storytelling afterwards which has continued to work to this day for them but well go on i was gonna say i was gonna say technically atlantis did have a sequel it had a it had a straight to dvd sequel but it it had a sequel uh it, it did have a sequel but the sequel is based on stuff that was already written and had already been animated prior to the movie's release because uh, it was originally going to be a TV show, but because the box office for this did so bad, they just took what they had for the TV show and they just released it as a straight to DVD thing to get it out there. So mm. it, technically it does have a sequel movie, but it was originally supposed to be a sequel series and it, it kind of got scrapped and they just took what they had and kind of bunched it together and went new movie guys buy it, please. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, understood, understood. All right, well, uh, I, I say we just go into it. What do you think? Yeah, I feel like the only way for us to talk about these two movies is to just jump right into it. All right, so, you know, I know how you feel about this, but I feel like because Atlantis came first, it's only right to talk about it before Treasure Planet. I, I know we're not chronological folks here, but I just feel like this just works, especially in terms of, like, these movies and how they work uh, in contrast to each other. Yeah. I, I don't think we've done chronological in a while, so I, I think it would work for this one. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. All right. So we're going to start off with 2001 Atlantis, the lost empire, uh, co-directed by Gary Truesdale and Kirk wise. And this film, um, you know, set in 1914, it follows a uh, Milo Thatch, He's a linguist uh, who, uh, you know, works as a janitor uh, in, in his uh, in his day job who, um, you know, because of the passion he has for his father's work, uh, once he uh, he wants to explore the world of Atlantis, um, he becomes in possession of a sacred book, which he believes will guide him to the lost city of Atlantis, um, you know. As he as his uh, proposal gets uh, rejected by the museum, the Smithsonian um, Institution, uh, he comes across a, a crew 
of a secret crew of mercenaries that are on their way to the lost city of Atlantis. They recruit him because they know about his connection to his father and uh, how he could be a great help to them, you know, as a translator. So Milo gets to live his dreams of uh, discovering the lost city of Atlantis. But, you know, lo and behold, there turns out to be uh, more sinister plans afoot uh, with his mercy, with the mercenary crew that is, um, you know, transporting him there. And that is kind of like the bare bones synopsis of Atlantis, the Lost Empire. Now, let me um, get a little bit of backstory here. Have you seen this before? Oh, yeah. I, I had remembered seeing this when it was in theaters as a kid. And, okay. you know, it probably same. Uh, I don't want to know, say how many years ago, but there was a huge renaissance of like a bunch of Disney movies coming back from the Disney vault. This being one of them. And I remember rewatching it around that time as well. Yeah. Oh, man. The Disney vault. I forgot about that. I yeah. forgot that that was a thing. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I remember seeing this movie when it came out, but when it came out like on DVD and uh, I just love when the movie starts, you got like that, that um, you got the Disney logo and you got something that's kind of like a flare bomb going off with kind of like a uh, like a C background with the mm-hmm. Disney logo. I was like, dude, that's so cool. I remember seeing that as a kid and just being blown away. Um this was in an era where when you put in a Disney DVD, you'd have that voice that says, coming soon to theaters. And yeah. you got the choice to skip over that or not. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, dude, I, watching this film immediately gave me nostalgia, dude. And I want to say as Milo, Michael J. Fox has a very distinct voice, but he's the perfect voice for Milo. Yeah, I will say, like, there are points that, like, when he starts speaking, you immediately pick up on Michael J. Fox. But yeah. he melts into the role by, I'd say, pretty much when he's just talking to the, you know, gentlemen and getting like with the crew and everything like that. It, he melts into the role of Milo and you forget, oh, Michael J. Fox. And you start just hearing Milo. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, it's like uh, it's like Tom Hanks and Woody, uh, Tom Hanks and Tim Allen as a Woody and Buzz. Right. Mm-hmm. After a while, you stop hearing Tom and Tim. You yeah. start hearing like like Woody and Buzz, um, kind of the same thing as that. I want to say like Milo is kind of a great lead character, right? He's he's like us, you know. He's um he's an everyday guy just trying to make it. You know, it feels like life isn't going his way, and then he's given the time to uh, live up to his father's legacy and like you know go on the the, the trip of his dreams to the lost city of Atlantis. Yeah. So going from that. I love the ragtag ragtag crew of mercenaries we have here. We got Vinny, who is a Italian uh, expert in demolitions. We got a uh, Doctor Sweet, who is a uh, you know kind of like an eccentric medic, uh, big big strong you know uh, military guy, but you know uh, you know kind of a sweet dude that you know is is all about like uh, you know like like health and everything. Uh, we got uh, Audrey, who is very young, uh, but you know like a gifted mechanic. And uh, we got uh, who's my man? Uh, Mole. Oh yeah, I love, I love just Mole. Mole. Yeah, Mole's a geologist who literally acts like a mole. He just he just digs, digs, and digs and digs. That's just what he loves to do. And uh, we got all of these people headed by uh, Commander Lyle uh, or Commander Wark, uh, who you know, of course, comes up. By the moment he comes on, you notice the bad guy. Mm -hmm. Uh, He he's he's a Sean Bean like character. He's like, I know this guy's going to be up to something nefarious by the end of this runtime. Yeah, which it, 
I love how this was during a time where Disney was not trying to pull the full on like, oh, you can never seen that coming card that they would start pulling in like later movies by completely mm. 180 characters. And they started kind of like giving you the breadcrumbs to go, OK, there's there's more to this guy. And we see it like with a couple lines that he says, you know, going, look, we're just looking to find that city no matter what it takes. If a couple men die, a couple men die. It's like, OK, so you're not a good guy. And then later on, when they find out that there's life in Atlantis, he makes the remark, this changes nothing about the plan and everything. Right. It's like, OK, he's the full on bad guy. That's it. That's just how this is. Right. And I love how we get introduced in the prologue to uh, just taking a step back here, how we get introduced to Kida when, uh, you know, Atlantis first, uh, you know, sinks when the, when the um, destruction first happens. We we meet her as a kid and then as an adult, you know, how she um, kind of connects with uh, Milo and, um, you know, they become love interests as the film goes on. But uh, voiced by the legendary Cree Summer, by the way. <laughs> but. Yeah, dude, I uh, I love this movie. I I love the dynamic between these um these cast and uh the the crew members here. But I gotta say, sometimes you get those moments where you watch those movies you grew up with that you love, and you get you get just a little disillusioned. Um, watching this movie, like I want to say halfway through, I was like, yeah, I could I could tell why I liked this as a kid, but as an adult, the plot is a little. I don't know. It, it kind of takes a while to get to what it's trying to get to with the plot. I feel like we're just soaring on characters for a while until we finally get to Atlantis in such a 98 minute runtime. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it, it definitely takes its time with that and everything. But as a kid, there's that mystery of like, oh, my God, are they going to actually find Atlantis? Is, is all this going to have like there's a lot more mysticism, but watching mm -hmm. it going, yeah, they make it to Atlantis. Just get to Atlantis. Why aren't we at Atlantis yet? Just Come on, movie. Let's go. Yeah, they're going through some more rocks. Come on. Let's let's pick up the pace right. here. More wisecracks, you right. know, more 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 jokes. Uh, you know, I'm checking my watch like, damn, they ain't there yet. Where's Keita? Like, yeah. it's, mm. it's, it's almost like when you're watching Dumbo and you're just like, but when does he fly? Wait, you're telling me he doesn't fly into the last five minutes of the movie? Really? I swear he flies like toward the beginning of the movie. And it's the he same doesn't watch fly until the end. Pretty much. <laughs> Have oh, you watched wow. Dumbo recently? Not at all. Yeah, it, it's it's not <laughs> until like the last, I don't know, maybe 15 to 20 minutes of the movie when it finally happens. And mm -hmm. yeah, when uh, you're watching this movie, it's like, I, I know how this happens. Why? Why aren't they at Atlantis yet? I don't remember this being so long for them to get to Atlantis. But at the same time, the designs of everything are just so creative and great. Like, it's one of the things that I remembered most about this movie from watching it years and years ago was mm. the design of like the giant crab monster that guards the entrance to Atlantis. You know, mm -hmm. you have the designs of the ships that they use in Atlantis. You have the designs of like the giant drill that mole drives in order to get to Atlantis and everything like that. And it's one of those things where it's like, you can tell that there was such inspiration with the creativity behind this stuff that oh, yeah. even like today watching, it's like, 
Oh, that is such great. Like watching just Mole's vehicle with the giant drill on it and everything like that and the way it moves and it bumps up and down when it's going through and it, it doesn't move like a standard truck as it shouldn't because it's literally got yeah. a giant drill on the front of it. And it's oh, like yeah. there's so much love put into the animation here. I feel like in, and we're going to talk about Treasure Planet. Where I feel like Treasure Planet soars in cinematography, this film like soars in its production design. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Like when you're talking about the vehicle uh, with the drill, uh, when you're talking about kind of like crafting the city of Atlantis, it's beautiful. You know, it, it's beautiful to look at, even for a 2D animated film. Um, definitely. So, you know, you know, going along here. Um, there are some like great lines that I memorized even as a kid, like uh, when uh, Milo was talking to Dr. Sweet, like, hey, what's 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 the deal with uh, Mole? He goes, uh, listen, you don't want to know. All right. <laughs> Audrey told me and I'm mad that she told me and I didn't want to know. And I'm telling you, you don't want to know. Oh, yeah. You know, lines like that. And then um, when Kita, you know, uh, shows her very, you know, sexy figure when she's about to go swimming. Uh, she's like, uh, she turns to Milo like, you you swim, no? He goes, oh, I, I swim pretty girl. I'm, I mean, pretty good. <laughs> uh, one of the ones that it sticks with me still, and as soon as the scene started coming up, I was like, ah, this is the line, this is the line, is uh, Cookie as the chef and everything when he's going through and like, what's this? The pictures? <laughs> or, no, with uh, when he's oh. going through the truck at the beginning, and he's like, what's this? It's lettuce. It's a vegetable. Vegetable? We don't need no vegetable. We got all the four basic food groups. Bacon, beans, grease, and lard. <laughs> okay, okay. Oh, and another line I love is when uh, Milo's going through the pictures. He says, I warn you, what you're about to see now is an actual depiction of what they may have down there. Oh, yeah. And it's him. It's him like in like a uh, like 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 a rubber shorts. tube, <laughs> right? And then you got the uh, the operator later in the back going hubba hubba. <laughs> yeah, I it's will got say, some nice wisecracks. There's some really good like one liner kind of jokes and everything in this, but there's also a lot of very like childish jokes, which some of them are like, okay, yep, it, it's a kids movie, I get it, it's a joke, but some they're just like, oh, okay, yep. Keep going. <laughs> a a coin a kid's joke that I like. It's not even a kid's joke, but it's one of those great, like, you know, kind of like uh knee slappers when um, uh, you know, Milo is is trying to chase after Commander Work on the bridge. He's like, No, don't go, you know, because he's trying to warn him about the danger. Mm-hmm. And uh um Vinny kind of grabs him, like, no, stop. And then Wait. the bridge kind of ex- <laughs> the bridge explodes. He goes, Okay, now you can go. Great. <laughs> That is a very funny one. And there's an adult, more like adult centered joke. And I'm trying to remember what it, the countries were. But when uh, Milo first sits in his bed and it's covered in dirt from, you know, Mole having just all the flags in the dirt. And oh, yeah, yeah, he yeah, ends yeah. up pushing two of the dirt piles together. And Mole just goes, no, 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 this dirt and this dirt should never touch. They do not get along very well. And I'm trying to remember what the two countries were because they were like at war at the time <laughs> that the movie came out, I believe. Oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I didn't I didn't catch that either. Um, but I know right after that, Dr. Sweet, you know, when he introduces himself and everything, he goes, OK, I'm going to need samples in this and this. And he brings up these yeah. two big containers <laughs> and Milo's like samples of what? Right. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh yeah, there's there's a lot of like really good jokes and stuff in here, and yeah, it, I will say it is very slow to get to Atlantis, but you do have a lot of like really good character moments with them. Like at first, they absolutely hate Milo. He's not one of them. He doesn't belong on this. He's just some guy that's stuck in his books. And mm-hmm. eventually, you know, Milo shows him like, oh, he has some knowledge here. Like he fixes the engine to Mole's truck and gets everything going. And he starts doing a couple other things that, you know, pointing him in the right direction for stuff. And they start to, like, get him into their group a little bit. It's like, OK, that that's some good character development on Milo's side and on the crew's side. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, going through all that, I mean, you know, I, I'm kind of going to top it off here on, on my end. You know, I, I think this is a. It's not perfect. It's not a perfect movie looking back on it as an adult, but it's it's very like entertaining. I think it's an entertaining adventure film that is a hitting gem of just of Disney's. You can't deny the craft that goes into like, you know, um, making a film like this. You know, you you got a lot of great movies to have spinoffs like, you know, Beauty of the Beast has spinoffs like, uh, you know, following Belle, following her sisters. Um, Aladdin has sequels and, you know, some spinoffs here and there. But, you know, this is a film that kind of released in theaters that, you know, even though it's a box office bomb, it was well loved among kids like ourselves mm. just because just off character alone. Right. And it, yeah, like you said, it, this is just it's a fun movie. I don't care what anybody says. It is just a very fun movie to watch. It, it's not a very deep movie. It's not a complex movie. But it's meant for kids. It's meant for families to watch. It's got so much creativity in it that it's hard to not be like in amazement and wonder at some of these scenes. Like watching the city of Atlantis sink down is like there's, you know, it's a kid's movie, but there's a lot of heart in that scene that makes you just Mm -hmm. go, oh, that that doesn't feel good. And there's a lot of scenes that make you just go, oh, that that hit, you know. But mm-hmm. it, it yeah, it's not a perfect movie by any means, but it's one where when Disney's going through and they're going, hey, we need to make a live action remake of Moana, that movie that came out, you know, six years ago. No, make a live action remake of Atlantis. I want. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, I want somebody else to even take a crack at it and be like. You know, sure, you can't have the exact same characters, but do something creativity wise with the same concept and make a live action Atlantis movie with this same adventure, this same creativity. Who who do you think would be a good Milo? I'm I'm thinking Taron Egerton, but I don't know. He's a little too buff to play Milo. It'll have to be. I don't want to say Timothy Chalmot because that might be typecasting him. But right. Who do you think would be a good Milo? Ah, that's a good question. I'm not entirely sure because you have to have somebody that's very like good at playing skittish. Mm-hmm. You know, like very, you know, almost fearful of everything. And it, it I'm I don't trying to go, think. I I don't want to go to the go to Tom Holland. Right. Yeah. I, I think he would be right at home. But again, that wouldn't work towards diversifying his filmography. Right. It'd be the um, same thing that he's always doing. Um, but uh, it is worth, it's worth considering, but um, yeah, I give this, a, um, I give this a strong 3.5. Yeah. I'm right there with you. It, it, it's got the character. It's got the creativity. 
it's just a slow ride and you know it, it's lacking in some points but it's excelling in others it, it's a 3.5 gotcha yep absolutely all right uh we're gonna move on to the next line of nostalgia here that brings us to disney's other adventure movie treasure planet this time directed by John Musker, we have the story of a young Jim Hawkins who is fin- absolutely enamored by the idea of pirates and the giant lost planet of treasure that one pirate has hidden everything on. Upon finding that a map has been found to his possession by another pirate that is running away by a cyborg, he goes on this adventure to try and find the planet to see if it actually exists and if he can get this treasure for himself and be able to save his family and his mother's restaurant and become the pirate that he always wanted to be. And it, it, it this one is such a bare bones plot of just kid grows up loving pirates wants to be a pirate, a map falls in his hands, and he goes on to find this treasure. But at the same time, the creativity of this world is really what pushes it. The cinematography of all these scenes and these moments are what really push this one. And Dude, Tell me about it. It, it. It's such a great way because it's not just like, oh, they're sailing the seas. It, no, they're in space. I love yeah. how it's pirate ships, but they run on the mechanics of like spaceships. Absolutely. And you want to hear something, dude? You want to hear something interesting? Hmm. This, is, this is my first time seeing this movie. Really? Yes. So when I was a kid, I had always known about this movie. I I'd even seen trailers for it. But it's one of those films that, you know, my mom never got it on DVD. And I never really asked her to. It's like, oh, yeah, that's that Disney movie I'll watch eventually. It's kind of like the Nightmare Before Christmas. I had always heard about it as a kid, but I just never really took the time to watch it. Because um, I, I had always heard people say, dude, if you like Atlantis, you, you should really watch Treasure Planet. Mm-hmm. I'm like, eh, I'll get to it. And the older I got, the more I forgot about it. But um, I'm telling you right now, man, watching this film for the first time, the way they got the 2D animation set atop 3D computer animation. This film is gorgeous. Like, this it, is a gorgeous movie. It's seamless. You know, yeah. it, like, you can notice when something's 3D and when something's 2D, but at the same time, they blend in each other so well that you don't care. You're not being shocked by the fact of, oh, that's clearly a 2D drawing on top of, like, a 3D spaceship. No, you mm-hmm. just go, that's a guy in a spaceship. Yeah, it is seamless. It really is seamless. When you're seeing people soar through the planet, um, when you're up in the sky, just certain images. I'm like, dude, this is just gorgeous to look at. And, you know, what I think works with this film, um, you know, Atlantis was kind of like, you know, uh, just um, what do you do? Like, like just the tip of the iceberg of like the future of animation and everything mm-hmm. like that. I feel like Treasure Planet excels. I like Atlantis had to crawl so Treasure Planet could walk, so to speak. Right. Like, you know, I feel like this is what if Atlantis was revealed, like released around this time, what Atlantis would have been, you know, with, with this type of like, um, you know, gorgeous cinematography. But what I feel like works so well with Treasure Planet um, in tandem with Atlantis is that the strong character development 
you know, coupled with the plot, right? It's based off the great uh, Robert Louis Stevenson um, novel, but it's the great type of like uh, character development you have in the relationship between Jim Hawkins and John Silver. So John Silver is a cyborg, you know, played by Brian Murray. Joseph Gordon-Levitt voices Jim, and you can kind of hear it a little bit too. Mm -hmm. But, um, dude, I love how, you know, John Silver, he sees something in Jim, right? You know, he he's trying to stay professional as a as a as a undercover pirate you know who's trying to lead the mutiny on the ship but he sees something in jim you know jim is like uh he's a troublemaker his mom is fed up with him you know and jim kind of like you know misses his dad who he, who he didn't really have a relationship with but wants to go to space he wants to do adventure uh kind of similar to milo milo was looking for adventure so you know, through a twist of fate where, you know, enemies come to, um, you know, uh, Jim's mother's uh, bar and, uh, you know, uh, they got to they got to skip town. Him and Delbert, you know, um, a, a dog and astronomer, uh, you know, they end <laughs> up on um, <laughs> they end up on the RS, the RLS uh, legacy. So I like with him on this sh uh, ship and you got Captain Amelia played by Emma Thompson, you know, um, He's he's trying to like you know get to a uh, treasure planet. He's trying to like understand more of like like what's going on, and he has he has like something of value in his possession too that he's trying to understand. But I like how he when he tries to get to know John Silver, you know Silver's like this chef, you know what I mean with this uh, great little um, Morphe thing on his shoulder. Uh, but I like how as time goes by, him and Silver become close, and Jim becomes close close with the Morphe thing as well. Like Morph, Morph is his yeah. name. Um, dude, I love I love that character development between them, man. Oh yeah, and it's another case where it before Disney was like we got to pull one eighty on characters and everything like that. Where it, John Silver is presented to us as the villain, like almost from the start. You know, yeah. that Jim was a nice is, rug pill. Yeah, so. Jim is told, like, beware the cyborg from the person that mm -hmm. has the map. And the first cyborg we're introduced to is John Silver, who he, he plays it off like he doesn't know what Jim's talking about of like a cyborg that he should be afraid of and everything. And as soon as Jim leaves, he kind of starts like talking to Morph and being like, we should keep an eye on him. He might be trouble to the plan. And it's mm -hmm. like, okay he's the villain we're already establishing that and then later we see him like talking to his crew which is hidden amongst the crew and going look in order for this mutiny to work we all need to pretend that we're here for the right reasons if we mutiny too soon we won't get the map so we have to make sure to play this on time and i love how they didn't continually like act like oh no john silver is a good guy because we get to see the good in him as he's, you know, talking to Jim and everything. I like that. It's a, it's a progression. I like mm -hmm. how the, the, the film holds his cards tightly. Because, you know, I never read Treasure Planet. I never saw this movie. But I was like, is he for sure a good guy? Because he, he, he's being pretty, like, cold. Like, there'll be times where he, 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 um, he tries to come to Jim like he's on his side. And then he comes right back again to the evil side. I'm like, so what is he? You know, I liked how the film kind of like held his cards close. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I was going to say one moment I really like about like their their bond as characters is that when the ship first gets attacked and, uh, you know, they kind of like save the day a little bit. 
you know, I remember uh, Captain Amelia was like, you know, kind of like, like, kind of like saluting, um, you know, John and Jim. You kind of see them kind of elbow each other a little bit. I thought that was a nice, cute moment. Oh, yeah. It, you definitely have that, like, it, mentor and mentee kind of like, re- relationship between them because John Silver is giving Jim all these chances in order to make something of himself. And Jim's just taking it every single you know, time and everything with learning how to do everything on the ship. He deals with the cleaning. He deals with the grunt work and he does it right to the point that John Silver's like, okay, there's, there's something more to this kid. This, it's not just some whiny little brat, you know, when he comes in and he sees like the entire kitchen is spotless. He's like in awe of it and just being like, okay, there's, there's more. And I love how it's those subtle little moments that lead up to John Silver being like, okay, I no longer have anything against this kid. I know I still have this plot to mutiny, but I'm not going to take it out on this kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There's a there's a push and pull there. So I want to talk about how and, you know, dude, I, I automatically knew the voice when he came on, dude, when um. You know, they're on Treasure Planet and, uh, you know, Jim meets Ben, mm-hmm. uh, a robot who's lost his memory. I automatically knew that was Martin Short. Just with yeah. the, the high yelling, I said, that's Martin Short, dude. If that's not Martin Short, that's somebody that has a great Martin Short impression. It's either Martin Short or it's Bobcat. Those are the only two that can pull that off. <laughs> Bobcat Goldthwaite? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I got you. Yeah, dude, I I automatically knew that was him. But, um, dude, I love it. I love the progression of plot here. Like, in contrast to uh, Atlantis, this film is kind of, like, nicely nicely paced. Mm -hmm. It doesn't take its time, in my opinion. Yeah, it's it's a very short film, and it uses its time to its advantage. Because they're on the ship, you get those good moments between Jim and John Silver, but as soon as the mutiny happens and they have to ditch the ship with the captain, with uh, Delbert and Jim, and they had to go down to the planet and they have, or at that time, they think they have the map, but they find out they don't. But at the same time, John Silver doesn't realize that he has the map. And I love how that plays into Jim being able to like be a con artist a little bit when he's talking to John Silver and going, look, I'm not going to give you the map. There's no way that I will let you have that map in any world. You know, I'd rather the map be destroyed than see it in your hands ever again. And playing with that with John Silver going, well, I know you have the map when my when uh, Jim doesn't have it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I totally understand that as well. Um, yeah, I I like that. I like how they again it's the push and pull, right? But I love the details, like when they finally understand, like you know the the meaning of the uh, the the thing that Jim holds in his possession, and they can like go to different worlds. Mm-hmm. I just love the way they set that up. Oh yeah. Well, they kind of tease it a little bit with Ben's like missing memories and him just being like, I remember doors opening and closing, opening and closing, opening and closing and a trap with a treasure, something he didn't want us to know, something he didn't want us to see. And the doors, right. they kept opening and closing and opening and closing. Mhm. Yeah. 
Did you, was there something else you wanted to add to that? No, just that. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I like it too. Like, you know, um, it, it builds it up very well. And when you get to that part where they're, uh, dude, I love the setup where they actually get to like the uh, the planet where there's nothing but treasure, just mm-hmm. gold everywhere. And then somehow Jim kind of says, no, there's there's a trick here. Like, like yeah. there, there has to be some kind of trick. And then you see the build up that, you know, um, of the booby traps that's left there. Yeah, as it will destroy his treasure in order to make sure that nobody else gets it. And I love that idea of like the pirate code of like nobody will get my treasure i'd rather see it burn than let somebody else have it and the fact that you even have you know he pulled ben's memory core out of his head before and it's holding it in his hand in order to protect anybody from being able to tell that there is a trap from ben mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and i like um <laughs> I like how immediately when he comes back to, he kind of goes, uh, oh, we shouldn't be here. Right, yeah. <laughs> he says, right, this is not a safe place to be. Dude, I love the whole action, how this is set up. And then um, uh, Silver is forced to let go of the treasure in order to save his life. Like, he has to be, he, he's, he's hit with a decision where last minute he has, no, he has to save Jim's life. Mm-hmm. He decides to let go of the gold uh, to save Jim. And I feel like that was a pretty great uh, choice on his part as a character. Yeah, because we see the rest of his crew get, you know, swallowed up as the gold's melting into the planet's core and everything like that. And John Silver is like still trying to grab gold and leave and everything. And he sees the ship that we have Jim is trying to repair and bring out. And it's covered in treasure as well. And John Silver is like trying to save that goes to the ship and he has a confrontation and everything where he's going, well, this is my ship. I'm going to take it. I'm going to take the gold. I'm going to leave you with nothing. And when Jim falls off the ship and is like almost going to like fall into the planet's core, John Silver sacrifices the ship in order to save him. And it's like that. I Yeah, it's such a great thing because it feels like an earned, you know, way for him to come back and save Jim because up until that point, he's been building that connection with Jim. He's been building that relationship with him, but also showing that he is truly a pirate at his core. So for him to put away that being a pirate in order to put that relationship of Jim in front, it, it, it feels earned. It doesn't feel like a cop out. Oh, the bad guy's going to yeah. turn good. Yeah, Absolutely. And I want to say I love that final moment between them when they're back on the ship and, uh, you know, Captain Amelia is like, uh, you're going to go to the brig or you mm-hmm. can answer it to the judge. And, um, you know, John Silver kind of creeps away about to escape and Jim kind of catches up to him like, uh, hey, uh, trying to escape. And, you know, Silver tries to play it off at first. Like, oh, you know, I was just looking for the ship, you know, just wanted to make sure it was safe and sound. He goes, well, it's right there. <laughs> and um, I like for a while, Silver kind of like asks him, like, all right, you, are you going to rat me out? And then uh, Jim just kind of lets him go. Mm. You know, Silver gives Jim some money and um, they kind of kind of give each other a nod. And you can tell there's like respect and, and love there. And, you know, and uh, before he leaves, you know, Silver's like, Jim, you're going to rattle the stars. And, um, you know, uh, 
don't do anything I wouldn't do or something like that. It was like a it was like a humorous moment between the uh, two of them. But I like I like their final moment together. Right. And, and I also love how, you know, we have Morph there, who is one of John Silver's like oldest friends. Like he saved mm-hmm. Morph when he was young and everything like that. And he always traveled with him. The way that Morph reacts to John Silver when he's like at his, you know, hardest and everything as a pirate, he always goes back to Jim, which you can see the pain in like just the animation style and how much detail they put into it with these designs and everything of the pain that John Silver has with Morph going with Jim instead of him. And it just adds to it that in the end, he leaves Morph with Jim, you know, even though it pains him so much to be, you know, not without uh, Morph. Absolutely. Absolutely. I could definitely understand that myself. Um, yeah, dude. And I like the epilogue. Uh, the one thing I'm a little, I guess it's a Disney movie, but the one thing that kind of had me a little like tilted my head a little bit is um, when, uh, you know, uh, of course, his uh, his mama's shop is a. Uh, open again you know a mm-hmm. uh, bit more tricked out too a bit more upgraded i like when the cops show up and uh it kind of mirrors the first scene when the, when the cop robots show up and say your son was caught doing this when he shouldn't have been and uh when the cops show up you know everyone's a little concerned and then uh you know jim comes out with a captain outfit on which i think looks good but i was like why would he have the cops come in and introduce him like that like right it, that didn't really make sense but i don't know I that was just one of the things that made me go like I just why would the cops show up for that like it's a hey. cute moment that that's all it is it's yeah. a cute moment in a dizzy movie. <laughs> okay, yeah, I, I, that's what I talked it up to. So that's just a cute moment, but I like how everyone is kind of like you know in a good place. Like um, uh, Doppler and Amelia got kids. You know, uh, Ben is a waiter at the inn. Oh yeah. You know, and, yeah, and um, you know, Jim is uh, you know, Jim is kind of like you know a cadet now. You know what I mean? Um, so I like how in the end when he goes outside and he looks up in the stars and you can see like a like a of a faint image of silver a little bit in the clouds. I said that's a nice ending. Like this, mm-hmm. this really like you know, this really topped everything off very well. Yeah, especially for a movie that was supposed to be the start of a franchise. It, they mm-hmm. closed out this movie so well because normally when you think of like a movie that starts a franchise, it it has some cliffhanger at the end that goes, oh, and then John Silver sends a message to Jim in order to come back out because he found a new treasure or right. Jim would be finding a new map or something. With this, they close it out where it's like, OK, this is a complete movie. And even though you kind of like have it in the back of your head that this was originally supposed to be part one of many. It, it feels like part one of one. Yeah. It, it has a great closed It has a great closed in story. Uh, and I, and I love that for it. It's a shame that this, that this bombed dude, this, oh, you yeah. could tell, you can really tell uh, money went into this because of how gorgeous it looks. Um, but I, I gotta say, man, Watching this for the first time, dude, I feel like I should have watched this as a kid. Uh, I give this a 4.5. Uh, yeah, this is an easy 4.5. I agree with that. But yeah, it is surprising to me that this is the first time you've watched it because it is such a cult classic when it comes to like mm-hmm. old school Disney that just is 
like I like the title of this episode, Hidden Gems. You know, it, it's a hidden gem of Disney that everybody talks about that is just so widely known as like it's a great movie, but nobody Disney has no you know want to continue it in any fashion. Yeah, it's like I was a uh, dude. I was watching this movie with my wife um, on the couch, and I had two separate moments. We were watching Atlantis. And um, I was like, you've seen this movie before, right? She says, yeah, I think I kind of remember this. And I was watching Treasure Planet with her. I asked her the same question. And, uh, you know, I'm looking at the TV. And at one point, I just get lost. Like, like dude, this is a gorgeous movie. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, like I'm, I'm actually just looking at it. I said, this is gorgeous. Like, like this this came out in um, 2002. 2002? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm just watching the movie in awe. And, um, you know, I'm laughing at some of the jokes and my wife is like, you're such a kid. Like, <laughs> like, I was like, I was enjoying myself. Uh, let me watch my movie in peace, damn it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, but this is a rare one, man. This is a rare one where you and I are kind of like, we're, we're, we're on the same field of agreement here. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, Treasure Planet just wins out. I mean, they're both great films, but Treasure Planet is just way more put together as far as animation and story. Yeah, it, it, when it comes to these two movies, it's Atlantis is such a great adventure movie that you have some great characters. It's a great adventure. It's a very fun movie. Treasure Planet is rounded in every corner. It's got a lot of great imagery. It's got a lot of great creativity, great characters, great story, great adventure. Like you feel like when the captain's assistant you know, gets flown into space. You you feel for that. You know, you don't want to see him go because he's such a fun character in this movie. And it, it, it pains you because he doesn't deserve it at all. You know, and not only that, it's used as a way to like for the captain to dislike Jim, even though it, it was not his fault at all. Like the way it plays with its pieces are so well done that it's. It's hard to think of this as one of those movies that nobody really thinks of or talks about anymore. Mm-hmm. And except for like in very small circles. But it's one that definitely needs to be revisited. When we're in a world where they're trying to revisit old properties all the time and everything, Atlantis oh, yeah. and Treasure Planet are two that are at the top of my list that if they even go, we're looking at doing a new script for it, I- I'd get so excited. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely would agree with you there. So, absolutely. So, moving on here, we're going to move on to uh, the after show here. I want to let you know of a movie I saw that kind of, it kind of threw me for a loop on how good it was, man. Did I did I tell you about the Hunger Games prequel? Uh, no, I, I've heard mixed things about it, but have you seen it? I have, Um, and I got a review for it on 8bitwaffles.com. So, I recently saw uh, The Hunger Games, The Ballad of uh, Songbirds and Snakes. So this is a prequel uh, to The Hunger Games films. Now, mind you, I've only seen the first one Mm -hmm. um, uh, with Jennifer Lawrence. I I didn't see the others. So when I went into this, I went in like, okay, I'll go see this to write a review. I'll I'll, I'll check it out. And uh, it surprised me, dude. It was actually a well-done prequel. And um, you you don't have to be a fan of the original films to enjoy it either. 
Uh, so great performances. Uh, Rachel Ziegler, uh, you know, who recently kind of like came under fire with the whole was it the the, the Snow White Snow controversy White. that I, I I just didn't care about that story. I you know I was, I didn't even know what the whole backlash was about, but she gives a great performance in this, dude. Um, her and the lead actor who plays uh, Cornelia Snow, who was played by uh, Donald Sutherland in the um, the original Hunger Games films. Um, let me find out who this uh, actor's name is. So Tom Blythe, Tom Blythe, and Rachel Zegler, they give great performances. Uh, Viola Davis is great. Uh, Peter Dinklage is great. Jason Schwartzman is great. We got Hunter Schaefer from Euphoria in this movie. Josh Riviera, who's who's amazing. This is this this film had a great cast and has a solid plot line. You could look at it as it's kind of like two movies in one. It's a it's a villain origin story, kind of like about the beginning of the Hunger Games, and it's kind of like a, a doomed romance. It, dude, I I honestly say, man, this film was like a strong three point five. Well, you know, it was a light four. It was okay. a good movie. Because the one point, well, you mentioned it. It feels like two movies is one that a lot of people I've seen complain about that. It feels like two incomplete movies kind of smashed together, but it didn't feel like that to you. What I would argue is the film kind of takes a surprising turn. If you never read the novel, like the prequel novel, it surprises you. Okay. Like uh, you think the film is going this way and you're like, oh, well, that that part of the movie's done. So is the movie done? It's mm-hmm. like, no, we're, we're going here now. It's like, oh, okay. It's kind of like, I would argue, it's kind of like from Dust Till Dawn. You know how the film starts off as kind of like a road movie? Yeah. And then it ends up being a vampire movie. So it's like two movies in one. That's kind of how I would argue it's kind of like. Um, oh, okay. I wouldn't say it counts against it negatively. I, I feel like it adds to, to the film's value. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a risk for sure. But I feel like it was a risk that was a uh, with a high reward. Okay, so it yeah, paid I, off in the end that they had this kind of twist that turned the movie into something else. Absolutely, absolutely, and I I will recommend this to you. I don't know how you feel about the Hunger Games movies. Like I said, I've, I've only seen the first one. And that movie didn't really grab me that much, but this one was so good. I might I might revisit the other ones. Okay. Yeah, I I will say I enjoyed the Hunger Games movies and everything. I didn't think they were as spectacular as a lot of people thought them to be, but I thought they were fine movies. I think you'll really like this one. Okay. Because I've heard from people that like the Hunger Games movies, like, oh, yeah, I like them. They was like, dude, that was actually a pretty good movie. Like, they were surprised. I, I might have to try and catch in everything because, yeah, there's we are actually hitting a point where after the strikes and everything like that, we're actually seeing some movies come to theaters. They're like, okay, I want to go see this in the theater. You, you telling me, man, um, you know, right now it's kind of like award season for critics and like, you know, studios are like, okay, here you go. Here, just take this, take this, take, take. It's like, whoa, 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 calm down. Like, like we're, we're almost <laughs> towards the end of the year. He says, we got a lot of time to uh, make up for it. Here you go. Here you go. Right. And, and so much stuff is being thrown at us. Yeah, because I I did manage to get to see one movie that was on my list to catch in theaters. And uh, Next Goal Wins, the new Taika Waititi movie. How was that? So I will say, if you are a fan of Taika Waititi's kind of style of humor, like you like, you know, uh, Jojo, you like uh, what we do in the shadows and everything like that, you're going to enjoy this movie. It's very much his style of comedy. 
And okay. that's what it is. It's basically a it's a Taika Waititi retelling the story of what was the worst soccer team in history or football in uh, history and their rise to actually not just be the lowest, but, you know, still pretty low, but no longer the lowest in history. And uh, okay. it, it, it has its moments where it pulls its, you know, it's jokes and everything like that, and it has some heart to it. But right, being right, that it's right. constrained to retelling this story, it, you kind of already know where it's going when everything's happening. Because it's like, well, it's a it's an underdog story. We know that in the end, they're going to win. But I feel like if it was unchained from like being based on an actual team and had Taika Waititi's humor and stuff, he could have played with expectations a little more, I think, with it. Okay, okay, that's fair. So business as usual for, for Taika Waititi movies with this one. Right. Like I, I would say that this one's like a three out of five. It it's, it's a, it's okay. got some good jokes. It's got some good moments in it, but yeah, if you're not a fan of Taika Waititi, you, you're going to be, you know, dreading every minute of this movie, which I'm, I'm a fan of his. I, I like his style of humor. It fits with me and you know, yeah, I, I look at him as like, yeah, you know, it's like you you either on that train or you're not. He, right. He's hit or miss to me. Like, I like what we do in the shadows, hunt for the wildest people. When we watched that, I was like, eh, you know, he, he's hit or miss with me. But I, mm. I, I can see how people like him, though, for sure. Um. OK, OK, that's that's well done. Well done. Uh, One thing I want to touch on and just a real quick thing. So I noticed like with this. <laughs> Excuse me. With this horrible um, Israel Hamas war that's going on right now, you know, obviously, you know, it, it, the whole thing is horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, you start this, you're starting to see a little backlash in Hollywood. You know, um, Susan Sarandon commented on the war and, um, you know, commented on that, you know, this is, dude, this is genocide, what's going on right now. And she got dropped by her agency. Yeah. We're talking about, uh, I don't know if she was Thelma or Louise, but, you know, so we were talking about, one half of Thelma and Louise here. We're talking about Hollywood royalty. Uh, Melissa Barrera got booted from the next screen film because she spoke out against what's happening. And Jenna Ortega, you know, uh, seemingly having solidarity with her, uh, removed her removed her uh, role from the next screen film. So we're starting to see some backlash in Hollywood here, man. I'm, I'm thinking this is, uh, uh, frankly, I think this is unfair. What do you think? I, I with this it's such so first off everything that's going on with this war and everything and all the cruelty that's going on it, it's mm-hmm. it's one of those things that's so complex that yeah. in order to take a stance on one side of the topic or another you're going to offend somebody you're always going to offend right there's no right. stance that is the the only stance you could have that would not upset people theoretically is war is bad, but somehow people are still getting upset about that going, well, sometimes war is necessary and everything like that. And it it also goes to the point that so many people are like, well, this person hasn't said whether they support Hamas or not. And it's like, why would they, they, they're a person that acts silly in movies. Why right. would their opinion on this war mean anything? I'm seeing comments on random people's pages. So, like, with the Drake thing, okay, Drake is half Jewish. I understand that. Yeah. Going at DJ Cali, I understand these people. But I'm, I'm seeing random things on random celebs' pages, like, 
uh, you have not spoken about such and such. I'm like, dude, this is an influencer model. Mm-hmm. What do they have to add to this conversation? Not saying that they don't have anything to add, but I'm like, how do how are they? Con- they're not they're they're not an Israelite. They're not Palestinian. What do they have to add to this conversation? Right. Yeah. When it comes to like people that are like heavily involved in these kind of politics, when they're taking a stance right. on it, it's like, OK, that makes sense. You know, when Hassan Minhaj makes a statement on this war, that makes sense. It makes sense. You know? Yeah. And you're not going to read his tweet and be like, I'm shocked that he's siding with the people that he always sides with because he's a part of that group. And then we have people that go like, oh, I kept trying to remember what the uh, person was, but it was a singer and she hadn't commented on the war or anything like that. And people were hounding her like, why haven't you commented? You know, not showing support is, you know, worse than showing support for the other guy. And then she finally commented going, I don't like this war. I don't know the complexities of this war and I'm not going to make a statement on it. It's sad to see people and children dying and that's it. And people hounded her because they were like, that is such a non-statement. You're just taking the safe way out. It's like, yes, the person that doesn't know anything about this war is taking the safe way out by going, I don't know about this war. I'm not going to comment on it. When that's the best thing you can say. Right. Like, listen, I'm, I'm not educated on this. I'm not educated on this personally. Uh, my wife is more educated than I am. But I'm like, listen, I I, I don't I don't have I, I don't like to see women, men and children killed. That's horrible. Mm-hmm. And that's what I say with it. And, 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 you know, everybody online is with the celebrities that say the same thing. Like you should say more. Yeah. They're not educated. Like, yeah. like The idea that celebrities need to tell us how to feel about things is such a backwards thing like it i don't know when it started where every celebrity needed to give us all of their political views and we had to start liking or hating celebrities based on those political views but it, it it's such a thing where it's going okay i like this person's work i like what they do and everything like that i don't care about who they're voting for as the president. I don't care what their political beliefs are. The ones that I care, mm-hmm. like what their political beliefs are, the people that are already in that political spectrum that give information based on one side or another. Those are the people right. that are like, okay, I want to, you literally, your job is being involved in politics. I want to know your thoughts on this because that's a way to get information. I don't care if Mariah yeah. Carey you know, supports one side or the other. I, I'm still going to, every time hear her music go, I'm changing the radio station. I'm done listening to this. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. I understand. All right. Um, yeah, I, I completely agree. But uh, yeah, I hope everything, um, obviously we want the war to stop, but uh, you know, I hope, uh, I hope things, um, you know, uh, come to a great place where, where uh, you know, the violence can stop. Um, absolutely. Yeah, I, I definitely, uh, I definitely, uh, give my heart out to that. Um, but this is, uh, you know, been another great episode of DFV, you know, uh, everyone take care, uh, you know, take in the hidden gems, remember to love movies, you know, watch movies and, uh, see you later.